Hi everyone, Tiffany here with a super quick note that this podcast was recorded as part of a previous bundle season. That means that the dates that you're about to hear for the bundle, well, they're no longer correct. If you're interested in seeing what the dates are for this year's sale, please visit thebellydancebundle.com. There you'll find all the up-to-date information on our upcoming bundle. While the dates may be wrong and the class mentioned here isn't available through us any longer, many of our guests still have their courses available for purchase individually, so please do feel free to click through to their offerings and take a look. You're going to want to check it out after hearing how brilliant they are. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. It's Yala Rocks episode 17 and today it's all about planning. If you're a teacher, then you're familiar with lesson plans. In theory, if not in practice. And as a student of belly dance, you may have never even given it a second thought. But there's a lot of value to be gained from planning out your practice. Namely, you know what you're doing when you get to the dance floor. Combine that with a goal and you have all the makings of success. Sarah Shrapnel joins me today to talk about lesson plans and how you can apply them both as a teacher and as a student to your dancing. But in addition to that, we also go off on a side note about performance and practice that you're not going to want to miss. You'll learn why for performance, the goal isn't 100% energy and perfection, a new strategy that I know I will definitely be applying to my personal practice. So if you're interested in goal setting, planning, performance, or are a teacher, this episode is for you. So basically, it's for everyone. The countdown has begun. I have just finished collecting all of the contributors' redemption processes for this year's Belly Dance Bundle, and I'm testing absolutely everything so that by the time it gets into your pretty little hands, you can just grab it and go. Within 10 minutes of buying this bundle, you should be able to be dancing in your living room, or your office, or wherever you may be. I cannot wait for you to get your hands on this bundle of products, but you're going to have to wait until October 16th, which is only a couple of days away. If you've been in a practice rut, this episode is a great starting point to get out of it, and the Belly Dance Bundle will help boost you the rest of the way. So be sure to check out thebellydancebundle.com to learn more and sign up so you don't miss the sale. You'd think it'd be hard, but I have people who do it every year, so go sign up. dancers and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. I'm your host Tiffany and joining us today for one of our belly dance bundle minis is the author of such books as Teaching Belly Dance, a teacher herself in the San Francisco Bay Area, and a co-owner of the Belly Dance Business Academy, Sarah Shrapnel. Hi Sarah. Hi, nice to be with you today. So much fun and we uh, spent some time catching up before this call. Sarah is just a lovely person everyone. So like if you get a chance to take a class, take a, the online class in the bundle, anything that involves Sarah, I highly suggest that you do so because her spirit just lights it. She just lights you up when she talks to you. <laughs> Thank you. See, you can hear it in the laughter right there. Yeah. So I love to start these things out, Sarah, by kind of finding out how our guests got started in the belly dance world. So what was your first encounter with dance and then with belly dance? 
So interestingly, we were just talking about families and all that kind of stuff and catching up with each other's news. Um, I went to my first belly dance class when my second baby was like, I wouldn't say like 10, 12 weeks old, something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had been part of like a bumps and babes group where we all had our bumps grow bigger and bigger and then all our babies turned up and we went out for coffee at each other's houses you know, every Thursday or whatever it was. And one of the ladies there said, I've just seen this flyer for a belly dance class. And you know how it goes. Everyone's like, yes, I'm going to do belly dance and I'm going to do belly dance. And it felt like maybe like six of us were going to go. We were super excited. Yeah. And then I went and one of my other friends turned up and only one. And oh, so what always happens? Yeah, what always happens. <laughs> and then she went to the first class with me. And then by the second class, I was doing it all on my own. But I made new belly dance friends and that's fine. But yeah, it was one of those, hey, we're all going to go as a group. And then the group thing didn't happen. And yeah, it was just me on my own. But it was such a wonderful thing for me to do at that stage in my life because my eldest child was 14 months. I had a second baby. My life was nappies and staying at home and maybe making it to swimming lessons and that kind of stuff. And then once a week, I handed my babies, sometimes I handed them on the doorstep and took the keys off him as he walked in and gave babies to him and walked out the door. And sometimes I had makeup on and sometimes I had clean clothes on. But Magical. Every, <laughs> every week I went to my belly dance class and escaped and yeah, got to be a grown up and talk to grown up women about things that didn't include children. And yeah, so I think it's so important for new moms to take that time and to find something that allows them to kind of step away. Cause like, obviously you love your kids. You want to spend time with them, but like you need time to yourself, especially in that first, that first bit to like refine your, especially your body, right? Like 10, yes. 12 weeks after having a baby, it's like your body is like a completely different thing than it was Mm -hmm. And it doesn't move in the way you thought it moved. I mean, I was a yes. dancer all my life. I started ballet at three. But, you know, once you've had two children, you go, this is no longer a ballerina's body. This is no longer a ba ballerina's mind. I have, you know, I listened to pieces of music and was kind of like, I can't remember how to move my body. So going to belly dance class and seeing all these beautiful women at different stages of their lives mm -hmm. and you know, seeing how the dance looked on me was just such a, I can never pay back that first six months of time. No matter how hard I work and how many other people I give the joy to, <laughs> I can never get back what Belly Dance gave to me right at that beginning part. Mm -hmm. I love that. We, uh, I recorded another episode. We recorded the episodes kind of on the same days and they come out over the course of several. But earlier today, I was, we were talking about that same thing, that feeling of community that yeah. dance really brings and like being able to walk into a class and be any shape, be any size, be any mm -hmm. age, you know, and still feel like, Oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And like, this looks good on me. Like looks good on me. Once I figure out how to not look like a doll that's like been posed once you get put into the posture. Right. Cause that always happens. <laughs> I think at the beginning you're like, Oh my God, I feel what's mm -hmm. happening here. But then you start to get into the groove and you're like, Oh, this is, this is great. And the confidence that comes with that, yes. I think is invaluable. I mean, yeah. look at how clearly you remember it. Yeah, no, so clearly. I, I think one of the other things is, I mean, obviously I've been on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, belly dancers 
are, are just so easy to make friends with. And when you've danced with someone, you're friends. You know, if you, you <laughs> the drummer starts playing at the end of the Hafla and you make eye contact with someone and you're like, you and me, we're friends for life now. <laughs> we're buddies. We both do hip drops at the same time. Woo, we had a connection. <laughs> just little things like that. And belly dancers are such amazing people. I mean, just the, the huge range of people. I, I worked out the other day, it's probably the same with you. You're probably really, really young. I worked out someone the other day was so much younger than like my youngest child. And I was like, but, but we get along. How do we get along when you're so young? <laughs> I'm 30. So I'm not like super young, but I am on the younger side. You are at the younger side of the belly dance market. Yeah. <laughs> But I think because we have so many things in common and are so passionate about our topic, I mean, yeah. you very rarely meet a belly dancer who's a bit like, yeah, I could get, take it or leave it. Yeah, it's, I, those people don't tend to stick around very long, I don't think. Yeah. It's the people who stick around and who you end up being really good friends with, I think they become interested, especially if you're in the same place, they become interested in a lot of the same kind of areas of belly dance as you because that's what's being brought to your area. That's what your community is focusing on. So everybody kind of like coalesces around these, these topics. And then you have a lot to talk about all the time because yeah. you're all learning about those topics. And then, I mean, it's, it's really hard to make friends as an adult. Yes. When oh my God. Have, mm -hmm, but when you have something in common, you're, you instantly, you have topics to talk about. It's not so awkward. You know, you can, you can go after a workshop and have a coffee and talk about the workshop and not feel that, I'm really needy and I need a friend. Will you be my friend? <laughs> kind of feel. I've straight up said that to people. <laughs> like, as an adult to make friends, be like, yeah. I would just really like to be your friend. Can we just, like, be friends? Mm -hmm. Can we just do that? That would be yeah, great. That would be nice. <laughs> so that was your first encounter with belly dance. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, you have a baby, he's 12 weeks old, you're taking your, your me time, you're going to take these classes. So when did it turn from that into something that you taught, something that you were then performing, kind of taking it to that next level? Because your contribution to the bundle is about teaching. So we're going to get into your teaching. <laughs> get into my teaching. Your teaching. So what basically happened is, I think what happens to a lot of people is I started off doing one class a week. Then I started doing two. Two became four and then four became eight. And as my children got older and it became easier to get away from the house. So I was away from the house all the time, taking belly dance classes, taking workshops and you know every time they took a nap I was on the internet because that was a lovely new shiny thing and finding out everything I could printing things out from the internet and collating it all because I was being a sponge and had mm -hmm. so much to absorb and I think it sort of came down to that point where if you're doing so much work on belly dance is it time to stop it being a money out and turn it into a money in I realized that I had more knowledge than I thought I did and that if I was going to go back to work, there was, after having my kids, there was nothing I wanted to do apart from belly dance. Like the idea of going back and going back to an office job and then still dancing in my spare time was just nightmare. No, I have to. And if you have to make money from belly dance, you have to teach. I come from a family of teachers. So um, from all, all kind of range, my 
mum taught like seven, eight-year-olds. My cousin is still working with children in um, the north of England with teaching and mentoring. Um, my grandfather was a taught accountancy. So everybody around me, oh, my brother writes book on books on teaching. So yeah, I can't forget Literally that. is everybody around you. Literally <laughs> is everybody. Um, so I had that kind of teaching mentality around me. I'd been watching people making lesson plans and teaching classes on different topics all the way through. And then there was a teacher training course that came up and it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to teach belly dance. So I took the training, I think it was about a year or 18 months. And it was really good because I could do it online mostly. I also took a certificate in teaching adults at night school so that I, I in theory, I'm qualified to teach adults anything now. Um, it depends in the States, they don't look as kindly on my UK qualifications and I'm not gonna convert because I've been yeah, doing I it so long. <laughs> That's a problem, I think, across the board, is if you come into the U.S. with qualifications from anywhere else, they want you to retake those qualifications here. Yes. And sometimes I can see that, and sometimes I think it sounds kind of mm. like a pain that is unnecessary. Yes. I think teaching adults is very different from teaching children because te yes. adults want to be there. They've made the choice. They don't bring the kind of high spirits that children do you don't have to bring your social worker hat you can if you want to but you don't have to you know you don't have to take do that pastoral care that people have to when they teach children mm -hmm. so yeah teaching children such a different skill set but teaching adults much more my cup of tea <laughs> so your contribution this year is um 52 lesson plans and how to create 5,000 more uh, and that is a hell of a title, I have to say. Um, so before we kind of dive into that and what it entails, um, what exactly is a lesson plan? I think it could be really helpful for our listeners to understand what it is, why it helps both students and teachers, and just kind of lay that groundwork. So a lesson plan is your estimation of what you are going to do in the time frame that you have with your students. Um, and so it can be, and I have done back of an envelope, you know, five minutes before. That's <laughs> me. Uh, well, I mean, let's talk about what am I going to do with my troop this week? My troop are going to practice the numbers that they're performing on Saturday. So lesson plan done. Lesson plan done. You know, um, what am I going to do? I'm going to look at look at it big picture, and I'm going to look at it small detail. But mostly they're going to have the music on repeat and they're going to dance it over and over again. That's my back of the envelope plan for their class this week. So it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that, except if you just do, oh, this is what I fancy. We miss that evolution of a belly dancer. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same if you're practicing on your own as if you're practicing as a group. And a class is basically evolving as a group. If you have no aims to go to, you definitely won't hit those aims. Okay, wait, we're going to pause right there. And everybody in your personal practice, I want you to, if you have no aims, you will not get there. You will not get there because you haven't, you're not on the journey to get there. So, oh, okay, you're happy with that. that Reach. <laughs> you can't see me right now, guys, but I got my hands in the air. I'm like, this, this is what I say. These are my words. <laughs> You have to have an aim if you want to get to any point. So 
if you have, if you, and, and people will know this, if they go to classes and their teacher has no aims, they just do some stuff and they feel like, you know, they arrive and some stuff happens, but nobody ever gets any better. Nobody ever, you know, maybe there's lots of laughing and fun and that's great too. But I want my students to get to the end of maybe 10 weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks and go, I just achieved something. I set out to achieve something and now we have achieved something. Um, and so the lesson plans that I've done, the 52 lesson plans, basically have five topics. And this is where I'm going to forget my five topics. Um, <laughs> zills and finger symbols, uh, veils, uh, all the different styles of belly dance. Yeah, no, I'm going to forget the last two. I'm sure I can look them up and I'll put them. They're probably in the blurb already. We'll put them, we'll put them in the show notes, guys, you so you can check them out. out. Thank you. We'll, we'll, we'll source them out of the internet and bring them back. This is, see, I'm actually surprised, Sarah, you're the first person who's actually forgotten them on the podcast that I've recorded, but I've expected everybody to do it. <laughs> yeah. So like, do not, do I not worry. Other stuff. I didn't write those down because I thought I'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> but for example, my um, Friday class right in the moment uh, just started 10 weeks working on zills. So this week we started off putting them on our fingers, making a sound, making a sound that matched our feet, just hitting singles and so on. And I want them in 10 weeks time to be able to dance. I've got like a two minute choreography for them. I want them to make like five different sounds. I want them to be able to do uh, a triple and some ballady and different rhythms. And I want them to improvise to music while making a sound with their zills and dance with a drum pattern and make the same drum pattern that the drummer is making. So those are my aims for that course. That's, that is a lot of goals. And I love, I love it because like, I can actually, you're saying it. And now I can look back on zill classes that I've taken and been like, oh, that's like, that was their plan. Mm -hmm. Was that, or that was their plan or that's what we were working towards. My question then is, do you tell your students that these are your goals at yes. the beginning of the class, do you show them like, hey, we're going to be able to dance to this choreography and we're going to be able to do this and this and this and this and this and then have them go like this? <laughs> <laughs> I do some. And for exactly the reason you just said, if you show them the choreography and the five patterns they're going to be able to do and you improvise, number one, that just took 15 minutes of their lesson while they stood back with their arms folded mm -hmm. and they didn't actually get to dance. And number two, they go, I can't do that. I'm not coming back next week. So, <laughs> what, I, what I want to do is I want to say I'm motivated you're going to be able to do this I'm I have confidence in you and what I want is by the end of that first lesson for them to do something they didn't think they could do so that they've already achieved like step one of their aims so they can see that I am going to move them forward I'm not going to keep them in place they are going to be better at the end of the hour than they were at the beginning of the hour sounds like for studios and stuff, this, this could be a, like phrasing your lesson plans in this way, the way that you're talking would actually really help with retention of students. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think students trust you more when they see that you have a, a scheme in your head. When, you know, you're not the, you're not the flaky belly dance teacher who comes in and goes, you know, I'm thinking, <laughs> 
<laughs> in Harry Potter when they're all looking into their crystal balls and they mm -hmm. have no confidence that the teacher is going to get them anywhere because she's just so airy fairy. And I think you can go to a belly dance class and follow the bouncing butt, which has some value in different directions, but you can feel like there's no interaction. Like I went to this belly dance class, I made terrible shapes behind the teacher. I looked a bit stupid when I caught my eye in the mirror and I don't know if I want to do that again next week. Whereas if you can go home, I, I have this, this concept in the lesson plans, which is called the ta-da, 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 <laughs> which is basically when someone asks you, what did you do in class? I want you to say the ta-da moment. So I don't want you to say we did hip drops for five minutes. It was really dull. The teacher came around and adjusted my arms like she does every week. She told me not to, you know, she told me to elongate my neck like she does every week. I was better on the right than the left. That's nothing to tell your friends. If you can say, I did hip drops and finger symbols to match, and then the finger symbols went out of match, but my hip drop stayed in time with the music, and I did this complicated pattern, and then I came back to being in time with my hip drops. That sounds really exciting. That probably only happened like twice or three times in the entire hour, but something happened that made you feel really great and excited, and that's the ta-da moment is the moment that you go home and tell people, I did this, and you feel great about it. I love, I love working almost, it almost seems like working backwards from yes. like what you want people to say about class and then how do you give them the thing that causes that to happen? And how do you put the building blocks in place? So you and I both know you can't do that hip drop in time, out of time and then back into time without practicing your hip drops, practicing playing in time, yep. practicing playing the complicated pattern. So what the lesson plan does is it says, here are the building blocks, which we have to drill. You have to do the boring work. Again, same with your personal practice. You have to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. Once you've done the hard work and you've got those building blocks and they're nice and strong, then you do the ta-da moment. Everybody leaves class going, I did something amazing. And yeah, hopefully they, <laughs> they forgive you for making you do, making them do hip drops for 10 minutes. But that's not what they tell people when they go home, they right? Because they're telling people the ta-da moments. Yeah, and they, and they probably forget that they did the yeah. hip until I next mean, week you make them do it again. You can't remember. How many hours do you think of shimmying you have done in your life? I, like I, if you put it all together. I can't even imagine because I shimmy every day. Yeah. And I probably shimmy all day every day. See, I, so you can't even, you can't remember the hours that put you in to, to get you to the shimmy you have right now. So it's yeah. the same, right? With the hip drops, it's like, you can't remember the hours and hours of practice that you've done to get you where you are, but they were all absolutely necessary to mm -hmm. get you to where you are. Yes. Yeah. And they, it, you know, the work has to be done. And I think sometimes as a teacher, it's your job to make getting the work done fun yeah. and interesting and give instant results because you could have you know you could have people come to class for 10 weeks do nothing but hip drops for 10 weeks and at the end of the 10 weeks go you have a great hip drop and they're like i don't care anymore i don't never want to do a hip drop in my life <laughs> let me out of here <laughs> you know <laughs> so you've got to break it up you have to say to people we're going to do 10 minutes of hip drops over the next 10 years 
and then you'll have the most amazing hip drop. But if you say that, again, they're not coming back because they're like, it's going to take me 10 years. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. So it's about drip feeding people, a little bit of hard work, instant results, but not, you know, not sugarcoating it like, oh, three lessons. Great. You can go and be a professional performer. Just, yeah. And I think as teachers, we're very often, we're super excited about doing the exciting new thing. Like you went to a workshop at the weekend. I'm going to share it with everyone. That's a really great new thing. It's like, uh, they can't do the new thing until they've done the basics and got the basics down well. So as a teacher, you have to step back and go, more basics. More <laughs> basics. Always. I, I love taking it back to the basics. Whenever anybody in my classes is like, oh, I'm having trouble with this pattern or this footstep or this part of the choreography, I always am like, okay. That starts with an omi, so we're going to sit here and do omis for a second. Like, okay, now let's transition that omi into the next part of the combo. Oh, look, it's the transition that's giving me problems, right? If you break it down into the pieces, you almost always can figure out where the problem is as you add the layers back in. And that is one of my favorite things to do in class. When people say, I can't do it, and you're like, okay, so out of the 20 things that you're doing, you can't do one, but you can do 19. So now, do you want to work on that one thing (laughs) so that you can do it? As opposed to, I can't do this big thing. Mm -hmm. So all of this, I I can so clearly see the parallels into a personal practice, but I want you to talk about them. So for someone who doesn't teach, isn't interested in teaching, maybe ever, Mm -hmm. they are working on developing their own personal practice at home, hopefully pretty consistently. How do lesson plans and how does this kind of philosophy tie in? So in the same way as if you were going to class once a week, if you do these lessons once a week over the year, your dancing will improve. And as long as you, I mean, I try to be very open in how I'm describing things. I think we all know what a hip rotation is, whether we call it a hip circle or all these kind of things. But I'm always happy to talk with people if they're confused about what the move is but the other thing is you can just swap out a move so if you're like you know what is this I don't know I know I have a Caesar shimmy I don't think that's actually in there I cut it because it's too confusing but if you see something and you're like I don't know what that is oh I'll put my favorite shimmy in there and again I'm going to practice it I'm going to drill it I'm going to practice it everything is rolling week to week so what I introduce a new move and then we drill it. And then the next week we recover that new move and add something. And that might be a layer or a different kind of technique or something. And then three weeks of the third week of that, we're doing something very exciting and expansive with that move. In the meantime, we've learned new moves and we're moving on with the process with each of those new moves. So it rolls on. And um, I think in our personal practice, it's good still to have that, that same scheme going on. I am getting slightly better with each step that I take. Um, you don't have to do it once a week. You could do it you know, daily as a daily practice. I know sometimes I start with my practice and go, oh, what am I going to do in practice today? I did arms yesterday. So this will give people a framework. So it's 52. So you could do it over two months and then start again. And you wouldn't get you know, you wouldn't get bored and you would be able to layer on things. So like we said, if you're doing hip drops and you're like, I'm going to make sure my hip drops are perfect. 
And then the next time they come up, you can be like, well, at the end of the zills, I was playing the zills. So I'm going to do the hip drops with the zills, even though this is fail, fail months. Yeah. <laughs> you still bring in the, the skills that you've, you've gained. I, I think having a plan, you can always go off plan. But if you have a plan, at least you have a starting point. Each lesson starts with a warm-up, a second warm-up, and it ends with a cool-down. So you're doing it right. It's structuring. It's mainly aimed at an hour. So you're structuring your hour, giving you interesting things to do, getting the hard work done without it feeling too painful. Because there's, there's also, I, I'm really, can get bad habits with my practice where you're like, I need to work on these arms. Oh, it's been 30 minutes. Why do my arms hurt? And you've overdone it. It's like yeah. running on the treadmill at the gym and you're like, Oh, I've just done an hour on the treadmill and now I don't want to do it again for another month. When you were saying that, like you do make them hip drop the whole 10 weeks and then they never want to hip drop again. I think a lot of us actually, we have that mentality with our personal practice. We're like, Oh, well, we need to work on our shimmies. And then that's all you, you either avoid it like the plague because it's hard. And so you do the shimmy that you're good at or, mm -hmm. you know, something else, or you hyper-focus on it because it's your challenge area, right? It's the thing that is currently challenging to you and you overdo it. And then you don't want to practice because it's, because it's boring. It's hard. It's tiring. Like you got to find that balance. Yes. In your practice. And that's why I think maybe even creating these lesson plans, like mm -hmm. taking these, these things that you're saying and creating your own lesson plans for your own practice with your goals in mind, right? Let's bring it back to those aims. <laughs> and that's the other half of the workshop. So I'm giving you 52 lesson plans and you can just print them out, stick them up on your dance space, work your way through them. Perfectly fine. As a teacher, you can print them out, you can take them to class, you can teach them. I've got lots of people who send me messages like, I'm teaching your 52 lesson plans. I'm like, great, good, I'm really glad <laughs> giving some structure because not everyone has time to, to work on lesson plans. And you know, here they are. Once you've once you've got them, they're yours. But the other thing you can do is you can read about how I structure those lesson plans. And I go into the fine details of why am I doing this? Why have I allocated that much time? Why am I doing it in this lesson as opposed to a different lesson? Why have I broken it into the 10 week stretches? How are we evolving over the 10 week stretches? And what's gonna happen is you'll read the stuff and then you'll look at the lesson plans and go, oh, I get that process, ah. And once you've got the process, I mean, it's joking to say you can write 5,000 more, but I've probably done 5,000 lessons. Could. But you could. And these are aimed at beginners and intermediates and those people who drop into class and that kind of thing. And I've put how to adapt them for different levels. But, you know, hopefully people are teaching a beginner's class and an intermediate or something like that. Once you've gone, oh, I get how to do this, it's really easy to write intermediate or advanced level classes the same. Set your aims, work out how long you have to obtain those aims, how much work, you know, how many hours, how long you have, good warm up, good cool down, focusing on the middle, getting a ta-da moment to make your, your students feel like they've achieved something. It doesn't matter what level or style of dance you're doing. So in this, then where does the flexibility come in? Because like you have to, as a teacher, you always have to be flexible. And one of 
like, for example, one of my favorite things to do in classes is to, especially if it's a small class, like, especially mm-hmm. if we just get a few people in that day, I go around and I'm like, okay, what are you really struggling with? What are you really struggling with? And we take that and we incorporate it into what we do that day because that's what's on their brains, right? Like that's, what's going to help them the most in that moment, even if it is outside of perhaps the prescribed lesson plan and your plan. So how then do you focus and work in that flexibility into it? Yeah, no, I always think you can't go off plan unless you had a plan in the first place. Truth. (laughs) So yeah, you have a plan and then you adapt the plan. You know, you come to class and you have, I mean, in the UK, I very often had um, icy cold weather and everybody's freezing cold and maybe the heating in the room isn't working. And you look at your dancers and you go, we are not going to do on this because that's going to give them pressure on their backs. They're going to get a chill. They're not warmed up. enough. We are going to do stamping around and clapping and getting lots of energy up. And so you look at your lesson plan and you go, okay, how can I change this foot pattern that I had and make it more energetic, more jumping up and down, more shoulder shrugs in there. You can turn it into a circle. You can have them dance in partners and swap over and new partners and that kind of thing to change the energy level depending on what your students need on the day. And again, you come in and you have injuries and you go, okay, I'm trying to introduce a couple of new moves and a couple of layers on new moves. And if, you know, I've had this last few months, we've had legs in plasters and arms in plaster and kind of thing. And you go, okay, we were going to add an arm pattern, but instead let's do some chest. But, you know, if you were like, we want to do floating arms, then you go, okay, I want your shoulders to show that you're floating and your chest to show that you're floating. I'm doing all the moves now just for your benefit. (laughs) Yeah, for those of you who can't see, Sarah is like basically dancing in her chair while she's talking. Um, I love I love recording audio only interviews with dancers <laughs> because I think this happens every episode. Somebody somebody will start doing some sort of dance move, or we'll start talking about uh, a type of dance or a type of music, and both of us, yeah, we got this. <laughs> But, you know, if you turn up to a lesson with no lesson plan and somebody comes in with their arm in plaster, you're like, I have no idea what to do now. And the, true. and the students know that. If you come in with a lesson plan and you have, you know, you have time to go, okay, my aim was to do soft moves. We're not doing soft arm moves. We're still doing soft moves. And sometimes you can throw it straight out to your, your class. This is how evil I am. <laughs> so now we've learned that. I want you to add some soft layers. <laughs> Vague description. <laughs> and now they can do the hard work. <laughs> Excellent. So for dancers who are creating lesson plans, the teachers in our yes. audience, um, or students who are working on their own personal practice and maybe thinking, okay, well, maybe a plan would be really good for me to kind of start working on. Yes. What do you think is like the number one most helpful thing when they sit down to plan to keep in mind? So um, one of my philosophies is that we try and practice at 100% for performing at 70%. By that, what I mean is we're always trying to push ourselves in practice. We're always trying to overachieve, to get lots done and to um, do our very, very best. 
because when we perform, you can never perform. You're never in the right mindset or physically in the right place to do that 100%. So you can't get 70% of, you know, of very little. Um, and so when you're looking at how to plan your time, think about how can I add that extra 10%. Last time I performed, what could I have done more? How could I have added an extra layer? How could I have smiled more? Could I have interacted more? I think there's, sometimes we do it the opposite way around. Like we try and perform at 100% and then we practice at 70%. And we're like, I'm just looking at me in the mirror. Just me, I don't even have to do this. I can well, and if you I never do it at 100%, you never be able to do it at 100%. Exactly that. So if when you're dancing at home, you're giving it, everything you're giving you a hundred percent when you're doing your drills you are being a hundred percent perfect every time and critiquing yourself and checking your posture the whole time then when you get onto the stage your posture might not be perfect but it might be perfect 70 percent of the time you might not do that shimmy layer on top of that move that you almost can do all the time at home but at least you're doing that move confidently without the shimmy so I think we, we flip it way too often. So think about practicing, at least by the end of your practice, practicing at 100% energy, committing as much as you can. And then when you're performing, 70% of really, really good is really good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put an asterisk on that too and say that this is not an exercise in beating yourself down, right? Mm. It's not like, what could I have done better on my last practice? Oh, this was bad and this was bad and this is like, oh, this is so terrible. It's you have to take a step back from that and be like, okay, if I was going to do this again, right. Yeah. Smiling more would be awesome. Like I already did great. If I <laughs> smiled, that would be right. 75%. If I smiled, yeah. mm -hmm. like really take it from a perspective of like, you are good enough guys. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again. You are good enough the mm -hmm. way that you are improving on that. It's just a bonus. Yeah. And, and dancing at 70%, the audience does not know you're dancing at 70%. And when you dance at 70% in front of an audience, you have time to look relaxed and time to smile and time to maybe even oh, enjoy yourself. What? <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I'll have a knowing look and I look back in the video and I go, oh, that's the face that goes, I'm not even going to do this. I'm just going to walk it instead. You know what is really funny about that? No one else can tell like when I mess up in my dance, right? Because they don't know what it's supposed to look like. But my husband can tell. Because I have this particular smile that he just recognizes the second I do it. He's like, oh, I don't know what she messed up, but she just messed up something. <laughs> but also, if you've accepted that you're going to dance at 70% in front of an audience, a lot of the pressure is off. Yes. Because you don't have to be perfect. Nobody has ever done a perfect performance. Never. exists. Lots of people have done a 70% good performance. Yeah, that's what I do most of the time. And like you say, if you come off stage and go 75% of that was good, then you've, you're 5% better than you thought you were going to be. Exactly. <laughs> I, love, I love this mentality. I'm definitely going to start applying <laughs> it, especially to my practices, but I think even to when I pull off the stage and I'm like, all right. 75%. But it doesn't, it doesn't work unless you are practicing at 100%. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're practicing at 60% and your performance is 70%, then you're not really trying very hard and you're not giving the audience the best. You have to, you know, you have to take it down as a conscious decision. 
as opposed to, oh, this all right, nobody cares. The more you put into your practice, the more you're caring about your future audiences. You're giving them the commitment that I am going to work really hard. And then in a year's time, what was what was 100% a year ago is now your 70% because you're so much better than you were a year ago, but you're still giving the audience and they're coming back and going, oh, she's improved from last year. And you're like, you should see me in practice. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So Sarah's course, 52 Lesson Plans and How to Create 5,000 More is available in the 2019 Belly Dance Bundle, which will be on sale from October 16th to the 23rd. Sarah, in addition to the bundle this year, where can people connect with you? Where can they find more of your work? So you can find me on my personal website, which is letsbellydanceusa.com. Um, I'm also part of the Belly Dance Business Academy there, um, which I'm really excited about. I'm been hosting some webinars and people should go and check those out because we're finding some of the amazing experts in belly dance and I'm asking the questions which is cool and you can find my books teaching belly dance and becoming a belly dancer which is the student's uh, handbook towards stagecraft those are both available on Amazon awesome and there will be links to all of that in the show notes guys Sarah thank you so much for joining us this was so much fun thank you I'm going to repeat one of my favorite things from this interview. I had to pause while editing it to make sure I wrote it down to save. If you have no aims, you will not get there because you're not on the journey to get there. I love this so much. I think a lot of times in dance, we can rely a little bit too much on our teachers to direct us. And when we're first starting, that is completely valid. But as you get farther and farther into this dance, it's time to set your own goals and then use what you're learning in class to help you get there. It's a subtle shift, but one that can make all the difference, not only in your personal practice, but in your whole dance journey. What a lot of us tend to do, taking classes and practicing whatever comes to mind at home, it's, it's just like wandering around the neighborhood. If you stumble upon a cool park, that's awesome, but a lot of times that's not what happens. We just kind of end up lost and confused. You're not on a journey anywhere, so it becomes infinitely more difficult to get to your destination. And there's no need to rely on luck. You can rely on yourself. You are perfectly capable of making a plan to get yourself there with the tools that you have at your disposal. And realizing that you have the power to dictate exactly the kind of dancer that you will become, that's not only the first step in getting there, it's amazingly powerful. You don't have to react to things. You can create the future that you want. You've just got to have a bit of a plan. If you like what Sarah had to say today, then you can find all the places on the internet to hang out with her over at thebellydancebundle.com 17. Sarah's book on lesson plans will be available in this year's bundle, and it's a great place to start to see what some of these plans for your dance might look like. And since she breaks down the bones of a lesson plan, it really gives you a good starting point for creating some plans for yourself that get you towards your dance goals. And if you're wondering what those goals should be, check out our episode with Victoria Teal 
or stay tuned for our episode with Sadie on the last official day of the 21 Days of Belly Dance Challenge, since both of these wonderful ladies have a lot to add on that topic. The easiest way to make sure not to miss any of these amazing episodes is to subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast aggregator. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Pocket Casts are some of the best out there. And no matter what your goal is in this dance, I'm 99% sure that this year's belly dance bundle will help you get there. Have a think about what you want to work on next in your dance, then check out thebellydancebundle.com to see what course items interest you and could help you move into that next level. It's on sale next week from October 16th to the 23rd, and then it's gone for good. So if you're interested, make sure to sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss the launch. Now, remember, When you're doing Sarah's challenge today, be sure to practice it at 100%.